topic, it is time to pray. And we started with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane because it is a place where we are able to see how vital prayer is, that if Jesus needed to pray, then obviously we need to pray. He gives us a great example, and he is our example of prayer. And here we find in this portion of Scripture the second time that Jesus is cleansing the temple. The first time that Jesus cleansed the temple is found in the book of John chapter 2, verse 13 to 16. And it is amazing because when you look at the text, you find that Jesus' first visit to Jerusalem is when he turns over the tables the first time. His last visit to Jerusalem, he does the same thing. And I think that we should pay attention to that because we should realize that if Jesus is entering into the situation, entering into this city, and this is the first thing that he does, and then this is the last time he's going to enter there, he does this again, I think that this is an important point. I think that is something that we need to take notice of and that we need, we need to consider, okay, Lord, what is it that you're trying to communicate to us? You must be pretty serious. It's kind of like, you know how we learn, we're sitting in Bible study, and when Jesus says something like, verily, verily, that means you should really pay attention because he's really trying to get your attention, right? Well, this is like his verily, verily. The first year, verily. The, second, the third year, verily. Listen, this is very serious. This is something that I want you to understand, something that you need to consider. And so we find here that Jesus enters into this temple the first time. He makes these whips. He drives out the money changers, the animals, and all that are engaged. And he says, you've made my father's house a house of business. You made my, you, 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 you've caused the, the focus to shift from where, where it's supposed to be. And rather than being focused upon the primary purpose of the temple, which is what? Is to worship and to sacrifice and to offer prayers unto God. We had people who were more concerned at that moment making money. They were more concerned. And not only were they trying to make money, but they were being grimy with their behavior. <laughs> Got to wake you up, right? Glory to God. Say a crazy word out there. Hallelujah. They weren't, they, weren't, they weren't being fair with what they were selling. They were doing things that they were raising up prices, and it was a horrible situation. And so Jesus gets angry. Say, Jesus got angry. I want you to understand something because we have such a misconception in the church. We think that getting angry is sin. No. Then Jesus would have sinned. The Bible says to be angry and sin not. In other words, you are going to get angry. Nothing wrong with getting angry. That is part of the emotions that God has created us with, right? So we have these emotions, right? The issue is what do you do when you're angry? So when you curse someone out when you're angry, that's sin. The anger is not sin. The anger didn't even make you decided you were going to do that. Hello. And so in this portion of Scripture, we get to see Jesus angry. Hallelujah. Upset about something that was by. Listen, it should anger us when, when, when folks call themselves Christians, religious people, and they dishonor God. That should anger you. It should bother you when someone who is declaring that you're Jesus. Now, now I, don't know, I don't know about anybody else. And I'm, I'm only going to talk about me, okay? I know what Jesus did for me. I, I understand what he liberated me from. I understand to the best of my ability by his grace to understand what that cross was really like. I know that we sing a song and we haven't sung it in a while, but it says I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon the cross. But to some degree and to some level, I understand what he went through on that cross. And when, when someone says they are a Christian, and, and, and they're declaring that this same Jesus that died for me, this same Jesus that liberated me, and they're going to live how they want to live? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That's not God. 
That's not something I'm, I'm going to laugh at. That is something that should bother me. And so, it's something that should grieve my heart because that's what happens when you get angry. You get grieved. Something goes on inside of you. So does that mean you need to become judgmental? No. Does that mean that you need to go and smack someone upside the head? Not necessarily. Glory to God. I'm just kidding. No. Doesn't mean you should go slap someone upside the head. That is not your place. What should you do? You should communicate in love. But it should be something that should bother you. Because when you look at Jesus' example, folks were doing things, the religious folks of his day, all, all, all of these people supposed to know the things that are supposed to be done, supposed to understand. I mean, you think about it. They're sitting out there, and what are they selling? you got, you got, to, you got to think about this for a moment. They are selling the sacrifices that are about to be offered on the altar. Right? So that means that they know exactly what is it that God requires to be offered. Well, I have the pigeons. I have the dove. I have whatever. I have these animals here. For what? Because you're going to go past me to go in there to sacrifice. So I know what's supposed to happen. And Jesus sees that and he is bothered. And he becomes angry about this situation. And the first time, like I said, he gets so mad he's making a whip. Glory to God. He is serious, moving these people out, moving these, get, get, get out of the way, get out of the way. And his last time coming into this area here, we see him in the same thing. And what we must do, church, is we must heed the warning and the calling to become a house of prayer. We must heed the warning. Again, when we allow other things to become the primary focus, we have missed what God is calling us to be. We get caught up in all kinds of things. And I want you to understand something. We all know, listen, I love music. I love, you know, good preaching, good teaching, good sound, comfortable seats. You know, I love to freeze, glory to God. Because half of y'all be up in here freezing all the time because I, I'm sweat, right? So I love all of those things. But hear me. That, that, none of that can be the primary focus. None of this can be the primary focus. It needs to be about one thing, and that is connecting with God. When we come together, it is about connecting with him. That's what prayer is about, is it not? Prayer is about communion with God Almighty. That's what it is. It's about communing with him. It's about having relationship with him. And what Jesus is saying is that my house needs to be a place that when people enter in here, nothing gets in the way of them having an encounter with my father. That's what he's saying. Nothing needs to get in the way because when it does, that bothers him. Why? Think about it. This is prior to the cross. Now think about after the cross. He paid a price to make sure that not even your sin can get in the way if you repent humbly before him. Your sin that separated you, your sin, my sin that separated me from him, guess what? He dies on that cross, and that sin is separating me and him because I am a sinner, and I have nothing good inside of me according to the word of God. Therefore, I am separated from him, and Jesus comes to this earth and does what? He pays the greatest price so you and I can do what? Be connected to God. Be connected to God. He went through all of this so we could be connected to his father, so we could be reconciled. That means brought back into a relationship, a relationship where there was division. God wants to bring this restoration. That's what he wants to do with us. He wants to be, he, he wants, a, and what he wants is his house to be that type of place. And so we find that in the times in which we live, now this is why this becomes so important for us, and that's the reason for the theme of the message series that it is time to pray, is because the times in which we live, this is the time that we definitely need to be a people of prayer. Not just the people who pray once in a while. Not just the people who know how to say prayers. No, no, no. But a people who are given, a people who are devoted, a people who are committed to prayer. 
living a life of prayer, that everything that I do is because I am living. I'm living a life of prayer. I am living. I said this in the first week. It is that everything that comes into my life, everything that I do, every decision I make, it is not something that I am praying after the fact, but it is something that I prayed into the fact. It is something that I am coming before God, and I am asking God to lead me, direct me, and guide me. I am not saying after the fact, God, bless all my steps that I already took. No, I am saying, God, if you don't go before me, I don't want to move. If you don't do it with, I don't want to go in that direction. That's what it means to be a people of prayer, church. See, I believe this, and this, I'm, this is my opinion, just my opinion. I believe that the greatest or one of the greatest fears that the enemy has is a biblically founded praying church. Just my opinion. Can't give you a scripture to point that out, but I would tell you that's my opinion. You know why? Because when we go on ahead and we become a people that are biblically founded and we are a people that are devoted to prayer, we are going to be a people who are praying according to the will of God. We are going to be a people who know our authority in Christ. We are going to be a people who understand what God has said yes to, what God has said no to. We are going to be a people that understand that as we walk with him, we can walk in the authority and the power of the kingdom. And the enemy wants you to be a person that does not know that. And if you are a person who is not devoted to prayer, a person who is not devoted to the word of God, a person person who is not devoted to that relationship, you will be a powerless Christian. Again, that's just my opinion. It's just my thought on the topic. Because what I understand is that we see things in Scripture. In the book of Acts, we see a story of the seven sons of Sceva. Y'all remember them guys, right? No? Nobody remembers them? Hallelujah. Not even one person remembered the seven sons of Sceva. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You remember them, right? Well, for those of you who don't remember them, because everybody's saying, no, Pastor Robert's the only one that remembers, glory to God, so praise the Lord Jesus. I know more than Pastor Robert remember, but just for those of you that may not remember, may not, there was these, you know, um, Paul and the apostles, they're working these mighty and glorious miracles, powerful, you know, men of God, casting out demons and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, there's this person that's demon-possessed in the temple, and these seven sons of Sceva, they decide, you know, we're going to go, we, we've been watching Paul and these apostles do this, you know, we're we, we going to go in there and we're going to do the same thing. All I heard Paul say was, in the name of Jesus, come out. And these things were running out. Glory to God. Like, that's pretty simple. They go into that temple. Seven of them now. Casting his demon. Listen, that demon rose up. And before he laid the smack down, he had a conversation. Looked at them and was like, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. Who are you? And the rest of the story shows us that they were kicked out of the temple naked. Pretty embarrassing. They thought they were going to go in there, we're going to cast them. And I remember in youth ministry, I said this because the Lord showed you know why they ended up running out of there naked? Because that was just the natural reality of their spiritual reality. Because they were really naked spiritually. Jesus, I know, in other words, when I'm looking at you, you're naked. I see you. I don't see Jesus. See, when these demons are looking at Paul, you know what they saw? Jesus. That's why they knew Paul, Jesus, you're covered, you're clothed in him. And we know that Paul declares that we are to be a people who are devoted to prayer. And so again, Jesus here is, is calling us as his people to be a people of prayer. And so repeat this after me. Prayer, prayer. is not for a select few, but for all Christians. See, we have this misconception in church. We think that there's an intercessory group. These are the intercessors of the church. 
And so we'll bring all of our prayer petitions to them. Listen, I believe in having an intercessory group. I believe in having a people that, 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 are, that are specifically doing it. I believe that. But what I do understand is this, church, is that we as a people need to be the intercessory group. Hear me now. We as a people need to be the intercessory group. We need to be those people that are seeking the face of God. Prayer is not something that's just for some folks. It's not, it's not for the, I, I said this before, it's not for those elitist spiritual folk. Hello? It's not for them alone. It's for all of us. It's for all of us to be engaged in. Remember, I, I want you to understand this. When you look at this word here, he says, my house shall be a house of prayer. He's saying my house. In other words, the purpose of my house is to be a house of prayer. So if you go, like, for example, downtown, I think it's downtown Disney or something like that, there's a place called the House of Blues. What is that place about? Music, right? You go in there, you, you, you know you're going to sit down and have food and you're going to eat what? It's going to be all, music going to be in the environment because that's, it's the house of this or the house of, and so when God is talking about this particular scenario here, right? This particular scenario here. He's saying, Jesus is saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, I want you to think about this. If my house is a house of prayer, that means that everybody who enters my house should be what? A person of prayer. A person who is coming to pray. If you're not coming to pray, don't come to my house. Now, I said that. I didn't say God said that. But listen to me. Got to get it right. God wants you to come, right? But he wants you to understand that when you come to his house, it's to encounter him. It is to encounter him. He wants us to, to be these type of people, not the kind of folks that are like, oh, well, you know, whatever. So anyway, when we look at these scriptures here, we find that there's three signs given in this chapter. The first sign that we find in the beginning of this chapter is we find the, the, the portion where Jesus sits on these donkeys and the scriptures are being fulfilled that were prophesied about the, about the king riding on these donkeys. And so we see the first sign, which is a clear one. is that They call it the triumphant entry. And so he comes in sitting on this donkey fulfilling prophecy about the Messiah. First sign, the People missed it. They didn't see that that was going on. After this portion of scripture that we have here that we read, or after that portion there, we read here of the cleansing of the temple. And so the first thing is a sign of the Messiah who is coming among you, and most of you are going to miss me. The second portion here is the cleansing of this temple. Because you are missing me, this is an issue here. There's a prayer problem. People are not seeking me. And then the next sign there is the withered fig tree. You remember the fig tree? Well, the withered fig tree is a demonstration of the fruitfulness of this nation because they look good on the outside. They look good. It, it appears like they're great, but there is no fruit that is coming through them. And so when we look at the scriptures here, we find these three pictures, these three signs that Jesus is communicating. He goes on to create or, or to communicate three parables that deal with these three signs. And so I won't get into that right now, but what we do realize is there's an issue. The king is entering in. You're not recognizing it. The king is entering in. You're not seeing who's walking into the picture. You're not not acknowledging it and you know why you're not acknowledging it because of the second issue you're not a people of prayer you become desensitized because you're not seeking God's face you become desensitized because you are not going after God you become desensitized to these realities and you become overly religious because you know it all I know it's rough but this is the reality because they know it all because they, read, they got the Torah down and they, and, and, they, and they have all of these other books and all of these laws. They know everything. So, they, so, so how can this be the Messiah? Well, exact, first, first point, exact, well, Scripture is being fulfilled. This is how this is Messiah. What do they do? If you read in another portion of Scripture, the Pharisees get upset. They're like, Jesus, how are you letting these people cry out, Hosanna, son of David? How are you letting them do that? Oh, because they got it and y'all didn't. Hello. 
They understood this because they are broken. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to, he said this, and we were praying this this morning. He didn't come, or, or he said that a sick person is the one who needs a physician. It's not those who are well. Because you know what happens? A sick person acknowledges, I need help. The one who is well, you know, I'm good. That's what some of us say. And, and you know what? And I hate it. I hate this reality. Some of us say this. It's like, you know, we talk about prayer. Well, I pray. I'm good. I'm good, Bishop. Go ahead and hurry up with this series so we can move on to the next one. Okay. Listen, keep it real. That's how folks are. Well, I pray enough. No, you don't. Glory to God. Listen, we can all pray more. And I think, and we'll, we'll get to this to the end of this, but it's understanding the reality of how God is calling his church to do this. You know what? This is not something that's, that's restricted to faith, Dome. I want you to realize this. Just the other day, just last week, they were having this, this, uh, this amazing conference that was dealing with prayer. And they have these prayer furnaces, what they're calling them, all throughout the nation. They have them do, throughout the week or, or, through, uh, throughout, or throughout our cities. They have different places where people are just getting together, and God is calling his people, his church, to begin to cry out to him. Again, like they never did. I mean, for years, there was, there was one guy that was there. This brother has been praying for like 20 five years. Did you hear what I just said? This brother has been praying for like 25 years in Orlando, older man, seeking God's face. And you know what? He, he said he's been crying out to God. And finally, he's able to connect with other people that are getting the heart of God regarding this topic of prayer. Because it is not just casual prayer, but it is a broken, determined prayer coming before God and saying, God, we recognize the condition of our world. You are the only hope and the only help. And so it's not just faith, Dome. This is something that God is trying to do. They had this conference, a brother from Uganda. He was ministering powerfully. This brother has seen revival in Uganda. How? It was through, not because of great preaching, not because of great music. It was because of great brokenness before God in prayer for the nation. This is what it was. It was understanding that if we don't cry out to him, if we don't cry out to him, what happens? Well, we get the same thing we've been getting. Hmm. Not being a people of prayer, and I said this earlier, burns in the heart of the Lord in the beginning of his ministry, first time he enters Jerusalem, and in the end of his ministry upon this earth the last time. Jesus was calling the people to repent of their sins. Their behavior was interrupting God's intention for the outcast to be able to encounter God. <clears throat> I want you to know where this was happening. This was happening in the outer courts. This wasn't like up in here. So for our, our purpose here, it would kind of be like out in the lobby area, out there on the sidewalk here, before people entered into the building. That's where this whole marketplace situation was taking, taking place. This was called the Gentiles' court. In other words, you got to remember we're talking about Jewish things. And I know there's a lot of, um, you know, theology in this and understanding, but I want you to realize what was going on. Because out there in that Gentile court was the place that the Gentiles, the people who were not Jewish, were able to come and they were able to enter and they were able to be ministered to and all of these things were able to happen. Well, you know what happened? They took that Gentile court and they turned it into a disastrous place. 
They turned it into a mess. And so while the outcast was supposed to be able to come to the house of the Lord to find comfort and find peace and find joy, they were supposed to be, get, be able to be restored. They were supposed to be able to offer sacrifices and prayers unto God. While that person was supposed to be able to do that, they had this marketplace going on out there where people were cheating, people were lying. And I want you to notice when you look at this scripture here, it says this. Read it with me, verse 12. It says, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all of those who bought and sold. Notice this. We want to get mad at the people who are selling, but we need to also get upset with the folks that are buying. Because if they stop buying, guess what? They stop selling. You see, the problem and the issue with the church today is that we are the consumers. We are the ones who are buying into the lies. We are the ones who are buying into the deception. We are the ones who are buying into it. Therefore, we are just as guilty as the ones who are promoting it. We don't speak up against the lies, so what are we doing? We're just as bad. Hello? So the truth is Jesus comes into the situation. That area is polluted. That area is contaminated. And Jesus says, wait a second. You are hindering these people from entering in and getting what they need. And here's the reality. We see a radical behavior. And that is the response that is necessary to eradicate every obstacle to us becoming a house of prayer. Radical, radical response. You know what? What we have to do is look at this and say, you know what? God is not just talking just about a building church. He's not just talking about this place. He's talking about us as individuals. He's talking about us as individuals, and how do I know this? Well, when we go to 1 Peter, I believe it's around chapter 2, where God is speaking about how he is, Peter, is speaking by the inspiration of God, communicating and reminding the church of what God is doing. And God says that he is building a spiritual house. Same word here. My father's house, spiritual house. Same word used there. And so what is he saying? He's saying he is building a spiritual house. Uh, through us, each of us is part of that building project that God is doing. And God wants to build a place for what? What, 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 what? what is this house? This house is a place of dwelling. So what are we saying? Is that God wants us to be a place of dwelling. God wants us to be a place where he can dwell. But the issue is we have so many other things going on in our lives, so many other concerns in our lives, so many other priorities in our lives, so many other issues in our lives that we cannot fully focus on what is important, and that is knowing him, serving him, loving him, walking with him, obeying him. We can't focus on those things because of what? Because we have gone to sleep. What do you mean, Bishop? Oh, we fall, we, 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 get, we get rocked to sleep by our issues. We get rocked to sleep even by our own goals and our own ambitions. Why? Because we lose focus. And when I talk about sleeping, I'm talking about we lose focus. Listen, your most vulnerable time is when you're sleeping. It is when you are sleeping. That's why some folks can't sleep. Hello? They feel vulnerable. They got to shake themselves. They, they're sleeping with one eye open. Hello. Don't ever see waking up every hour. Why? There's just something going on. It's your most vulnerable time. Got children in the house? Well, you know what? You're going to get up five, six, seven, eight times a night. Why? Checking on the kids. Make sure everything is okay. Why? Because they're at the most vulnerable moment. Their most vulnerable moment. It happens. Is it wrong to check on your kids? No. My goodness, But I think you should have some faith in God. Amen? 
But we have this mindset, and, we, and, and we, we, we get caught up in all of these other things. And you know what, church? The reality is this, is that we've got to become radical in our devotion. I was talking to Pastor Tati, and she's like, Bishop, I don't like that word radical. And I said, listen, being a Christian, being a Christian is radical. If you're going to be a Christian in our day, it's going to be radical. You, 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 you are going to be radical. I, I love, you know, Dave Ramsey, he was talking about, you know, being weird. Glory to God. You're going to be weird. Hello? I'm just, I'm just letting you know it, it, the, the fact that because you are not going to be doing things that everybody else is doing because your life is focused on something else. Your life is focused on, on, on different, you have different goals, different priorities, different things are burning inside of your heart. Instead of lust and sin and, and, and ungodliness burning in your heart, you're a true child of God. There's other things that are going to be burning in your heart. There are, now this is the beauty of it, there are other things that are burning in your heart. There may be other things that are warring against your spirit, other things that are warring against you because you still live in this flesh, you still live in this body, and so there's still that struggle. But what is burning inside of you is what? It is to seek him, to know him to please him to represent him to lead others to him that is what burns inside of you the other things that are that are burning inside of others are not because of what because there's a different fire inside of you church and this is what Jesus is communicating to them he's saying listen guys you missed this my house should be a house of prayer not a place of business and he goes on in the latter portion he says a den of thieves because back in those days, what a thief did is a thief would go and hide in a den when they, were, when, they were, when they were thieving and they were doing the things that they were doing. They would go and they would hide in this den and they would be there. And so what God was saying is, you know what? Y'all are making my house your den. Do you hear what I just said? You are making my house your den. In other words... You are supposed to come to my house to be delivered of your sin. And instead, you are coming to my house to try to hide your sin. You're supposed to come and repent of your extortion is what he's telling these people. You are supposed to come and repent of being unjust with your scales. You are supposed to come and repent of being dishonest with your business transactions. And instead, you have brought that garbage before me. You have brought that sin before me, and you don't want to deal with it. You're making my house a place of thieves. Church is the same stuff for us today. Oh, we want to come, we want to find comfort, but do you want to get right with Jesus? Or you want to come and you want to feel good about life, but do you want to change your life? Or is it, I know that's heavy, right? I thought we were supposed to feel good when we come to church. Yeah, you should. If you responded to God, you should feel great. If you didn't respond to him, you shouldn't feel so good. You should know he loves you. Hello. But you should also leave with a reality that if you're not walking with him, hey, everything else is insecure. That's the truth of the matter. So Jesus goes, flips over these tables, gets angry because they're distorting something, they're dishonoring him, flips the tables over and says, hey, my house should be a house of prayer. I believe that it's time, church, that we allow God to flip some tables in our lives. I believe that we need to get real with God. We need to really consider what are the things that are taking priority? What are the things that we're hiding behind? What are the things that we're acting like they're okay? What are the things that we think are cool and they're not cool? What, what, what are those things? What are those things that are hindering me as an individual? Not us as a people. What are those things that are hindering me as an individual to being that house of prayer? Listen, it may, it may not even be some heinous sin. And what I mean is you may not be out there committing adultery on your spouse. You may not be some abusive person. You may not be cheating on your taxes. You may not be doing all that he's doing. You may, you may not be doing all that kind of stuff, and so you feel like you're okay. But what is it that is hindering you from going to that next place in God? What is it that is keeping you back from those things? What is it that is hindering you from walking with him in fullness and in truth? What is it? 
What is it needs to be flipped over in your life? The second thing that I should repeat after me is this. The price of prayer cannot be compared to the fruit of prayer. In order for God's house to be in it, or in, in, in order for God's house to be in order, what it meant was real individual sacrifice. Every person that was there, every person that was that, that was doing all of their business transactions, you know what it meant? They were gonna have to deal with this. They were gonna have to respond and they were gonna have to move out of the way so that way God could do whatever he wanted to do. As individuals, it's the same thing, church. If we are gonna be a house of prayer, then that means individual sacrifice. That means us really counting this cost. It means us really considering what is it? What is it? What is it that God is calling me to do as an individual? It is not measuring yourself based on your brother or your sister. Let me say that again. It is not measuring yourself based on your brother or your sister. Because you know what? Your brother or your sister may be at a different place spiritually than you. They may have, they may have a different revelation of God at this point in their life. The same God. God is dealing with them on different areas. Y'all remember the testimony that I gave about the day after I got saved and I smoked weed because I didn't see there was anything wrong with it? If you would have saw me that day, you'd have been like, man, this guy doesn't love God. And I can tell you that that day, I love Jesus as much as I love him today. And, and, and the reason why was because the night before I met him I told you this though the next day the Lord dealt with me the next day the Lord dealt with my heart the next day the Lord convicted me I don't remember the preacher the pastor preaching anything that said anything about smoking out what I do recall though very clearly is when I came home there was a conviction in my heart and I knew that doing that and I knew that doing that was wrong the point is everybody's at a different place in God that's a fact it doesn't excuse them but it also doesn't exalt you hear me because what we'll do is we will measure ourselves based on others. Can I tell you who you need to measure yourself by? Why don't you tell me? There you go. Measure yourself next to him. See if you walk as perfectly as he did. See if you are living as righteously as he did. See if you are as devoted to prayer as he was. See if, see if you are as powerful as he See if you are, if you, if you measure up to that, then you're good to go. But I know me, I fall way short of that. And what I do is I strive toward that. And so when I hear these messages and when I say hear them, I mean that. Hear them. I hear them because I preach them to myself before you ever hear them. When I'm sitting down, the Holy Spirit is convicting me, dealing with me because I got to hear it first, right? Pastor Robert says that all the time, doesn't he? I've got to hear the word of God that is coming first. I have to respond to God's word. I have to recognize, wait a second, this is not just for them. This is for you. So when we hear this word, what do we do? Do we respond by saying, well, you know what? I'm going to use Jimmy as an example. He's my brother, and I'm just going to say this, you know, just, you know, just as an example, not as reality. Oh, well, I'm going to measure myself by Jimmy. Well, you know, Jimmy, he don't really read the word. His prayer life, off and on. Now, I pray for 20 minutes a day. I read a couple of scriptures a day. That, that, that's good for Jimmy, but I'm all right. It's not truth. That's a deception, and that's where the enemy wants to keep us, right? Hmm. Before the building, before this building, before this place that we come together, we'll be known as a house of prayer, house of prayer, place of dwelling for God, before it's going to be known as a place where the presence of the Lord manifests, before it's going to be known as a place where people can come and be delivered, before it's going to be known as a place where people can be transformed, we as individuals must become separate houses of prayer. 
We as individuals must become that before this place is going to be known within our city, within our nation, as a place where there is healing power. And when I say healing power, I'm not just talking about physically. Can I, can I tell you something? People are walking around on this earth, and you know what? They have learned to cope with their physical issues, but their emotional issues are crippling them. Did you hear what I just said? They have learned to cope with their physical issues. They've learned to ride a wheelchair. They've learned to walk on crutches. They've learned to do whatever it is they need to do. They've learned to, you know, hear better. They've learned to see better. They've learned all of those things. And I'm not saying that we do not believe in healing power or anything like that. But we do know that not every single person that is here in this earth is going to be healed of a sickness. We understand that clearly. But the fact of the matter is there is not one person on this planet who should be walking around with a broken heart. As a matter of fact, when you read in context that by his stripes we are made whole, that is dealing with salvation, that is dealing with our heart, our soul, our whole condition before God Almighty. And so what God wants to do is he wants to make humanity whole. He wants to bring healing to humanity. He wants them to know that there is a place. But when we are more focused on other things, then problems occur with people being able to see the truth of what God wants to do. And so the reality is that before this house, before Faith Dome, will be known as a place where God dwells, where God is at. And not just about here because God knows it is not about Faith Dome. But before we are known as that place, we as individuals have to become that place. We have to become that place. You see, because the truth of the matter is, is that God will not fully manifest himself in an environment where he is not the focus because God is not an author of confusion. See, I always communicate this. I always tell people, you need to be careful what you call blessed. You need to be careful who you call blessed. Because there are some folks that they're not living a life that warrants them to be called blessed by God. Hello? Hello? I, I, I don't know if you got that. There are some folks, can I, can I, can I say it? I, I'm going to say it like this. The devil knows how to prosper. Did you hear what I just said? Well, I mean, my goodness, he took Jesus up on the pinnacle and showed him all these kingdoms and said, all of this will be yours. Just worship me. So he knows how to prosper. Hello. He wasn't giving Jesus one kingdom. He was giving him all authority. Hello, somebody. He was giving him all kingdoms. So the, the, the devil knows how to prosper. He knows how to make it seem like, oh, yeah, that person's all right. That person's good to go. That person is okay with me. He knows how to do that stuff. And we have to be careful because there's something greater than being, than, than being blessed in just a material <laughs> manner. Hello. There's something greater than that. And that's what we as Christians are supposed to be concerned with, the real blessing of what? Knowing him. The real blessing of what? Walking in intimacy. Does that mean that we shouldn't have, you know, good things, nice stuff? No, not at all. That does not mean that. What I'm saying is, what's first? Knowing him or having things? Walking with him or having the benefits that he offers? What is more important to us? We have to make those determinations because you know what we'll do? We'll pray until we get our blessing if we're focused on the blessing. We'll pray until we get our breakthrough if we're focused on the breakthrough. But God wants us to pray beyond that, seeking him for who he is, seeking him for a greater greatness of him that we have never seen in our lives. Hello. And so we understand here that God is not the author of confusion, so he's not going to come down and just manifest his full blessing and everything because then what he is saying is, I'm cool with that mess. It's not how God operates. 
What he will do is he will manifest not in the fullness of his glory because you know what? If God manifests the fullness of his glory in the middle of a mess, and when I mean mess, sinful, ungodliness, you know what God has to do? He has to judge. Why? Because he's holy. That is the reason he sent Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to do what? To convict us of our sin, of righteousness and judgment, to communicate to us the error of our ways. And so a part, and, and, and God is manifesting and touching us and showing us these things for what? Because he wants to come and dwell with you. He, does, he, he doesn't, you, you got to understand this. God doesn't just want you to know you're a sinner. He doesn't want you to just know that. He wants you to know I'm a savior. He doesn't just want you to know, hey, man, you're going to hell. He wants you to know, I can liberate you from the power of hell. He wants you to know, I came to this earth, put on flesh, lived the perfect life, died on the cross. For what? So that way you could be set free from the power of sin, from the power of death, so that way you could know life like you've never known it. It's not about things. It's about a Savior. This is what he wants us to understand. But the fact is, you can't know that he's a savior if you don't know you're a sinner. You can't know it. How do I, what, 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 what do I need to, because then you say, what do I need a savior for? Hear me, church. God wants us to be those people who really say, you know what, God? It's all about you. I want the full manifestation of you. And so what God does is he comes and he begins to communicate in the midst of the mess. He begins to communicate just like he does here. He, man, he, he comes into this. You see a perfect picture of this happening. He enters in, 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 in the beginning of chapter 21, riding on the donkey. So the king of kings and lord of lords is coming in there. People around him praising him. Hosanna to the son of David. In other words, our salvation has arrived. Communicating these things to the king of glory. And what happens? The first stop he makes, he says, wait a second. This is not right. But why does he do it? I love the next verse in verse 14. It says, then... The blind, oh glory to God. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So what do we see? This is what God wanted to do all the time. Those outcasts, those blind, the ones who couldn't see physically, the ones who could not move, they were lame. Those he wanted to do something in their lives. He wanted to do something in them. But because things were out of order, these people will continue to walk around blind. They will continue to walk around lame. They will never find their healing because of what? Because things were out of order. Because while they're walking around, these people are worried about making money. These people are worried about this. These people are worried about that. Well, they're all not focused on what needs to be focused on. And so what happens is the power of God is hindered. The end result of prayer is that souls are saved, saints are preserved, and nations are changed. Let me say that again. The end result of prayer is that souls are saved, saints are preserved, and nations are changed. That's the end result when we talk about being a house of prayer. This is what occurs when the church becomes a house of prayer. See, in the natural, you see these people that they were blind, but you know what? There is spiritual blindness. The Bible talks about the God of this world, speaking of Satan, he blinds the mind. He blinds the hearts of people. When they read the law, speaking specifically of Israel, when they read the law, they are blinded. Who's their liberator? Jesus. Who's the one that sets them free? Jesus. 
Who's the one that opens their eyes? Jesus. Who's the one who enables them? We know that we have people who are lame, church. People who are incapable of walking on their own. People who need to be lifted up. People who have been beat down by sin. People who have been beat down by generational curses. People who have been beat down by deception. People who have been beat down by situations and circumstances and they are not able to get up. They need someone to help them and that someone is Jesus. That someone is the Savior, but we will not share him if we do not recognize and understand fully that he has all power and all authority and has filled us with his spirit to go forward and bring healing to the land in which we live. So how do we start? How do we get there? By being a people of prayer. See, here's the fact, and I'm going to close with this. Understanding the days in which we live should move us to a deeper level of prayer. Turn with me, please, to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, when you got to say so. And it says clearly, but the end of all things is at hand. Look at me for a moment. The end of all things. The end of all things. The end of all things. When was this written? Long time ago, wasn't it? Long time ago. I want you to hear the urgency that is in this. I want you to hear the urgency that is coming from this apostle. The urgency that is there. And I hope you get this. I hope you're not sleeping on this. The urgency that comes from the apostle is he says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in prayer. This is what he says. So how do you, re- how do you respond? Oh, yeah, I know we're living in the end time. So why are you not a person of prayer? Oh, I know we're living in the last days. Why are you not giving to prayer? Oh, I know we're living in the last days. I know things are perilous times. I know men are lovers of themselves. I know that they're, you know, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I know that they're all, I, I know all these things. Why are you not giving to prayer then? Because this is what the scripture says here. The scripture says because the end of all things is at hand, we should be given to, a, to, to prayer. We should be a people who are watchful, who are serious, who are sober. That means awake. Awake. See, we don't, even, we don't even understand. Some of us have been sleeping for so long, we don't even realize it. Some of us have been asleep for so long, we don't even recognize how sleepy we've been. We don't realize it. But the apostle says, not Jason, the apostle says, the end of all things is at hand. Be sober. Be vigilant. Wake up. When we look at our nation, we got to look at some things and figure out what we're talking about. And knowing that the days that we live in are are, are these end times, right? 
Well, what we see clearly is, and I'm just going to go over a couple of statistics here because I think that it's important for us to understand because the call to prayer is urgent because God is calling us, his people, to rise in faith and to pray in faith with a determination to be a people who rise and say, you know what, God, we recognize the days we live in and we recognize that we are not here by chance. Many of us wish we lived in the days that Jesus walked on the earth. That would have been glorious and wonderful. And yeah, I can say that I've thought those thoughts before. Some of us wish we lived in the days that the apostles were there and the church was first there so that we can be there. There's only one real reason why I would want to be in those days, and it was for doctrinal purposes. That's about it, because I'd be able to sit down with the apostle Paul and get every answer to every doctrinal question I have today. That's probably one of the only reasons why I would want to be in those days. But you know what I realized? That God has set me up for this day, this hour, and this time. God, God knew what he was doing when he put us here at this moment. It was clear. Jesus shows us that we have a purpose. He shows us this. And so understanding the days in which we live, just a couple of little statistics. There's a person by the name of George Barna. He has a website, barna.org. You can go there and you can look up all of these, all of these things, barna, B-A-R-N-A.org. And it has all of these different reports that he does, all these statistical reports. And in, 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 in the month of April 2010, his report was this. Millions of unchurched adults, listen to this, millions of unchurched adults, those are people who do not attend church regularly. Those are people who you see daily out here, and when I say this, you're going to understand that this is the truth. The fact is that there are millions of unchurched adults that are Christians that have been hurt by churches, but they can be healed by the pain, of the pain. Millions, hear me now, millions of people that are out there, they know something about God. They went to church when they were growing up. They went to church. They experienced God at some level and some degree in their life. They experienced and they knew him. In some way, they may not have known him intimately, they had some level of understanding of who he was. And you want to know what happens? They get hurt. I'm not going to church. Because what? Something was the wrong focus. But you know the beauty of this report is? It doesn't just say there's just a million people that are out there that have been hurt in churches. It says and the pain can be healed. How does the healing come? Us being a people of prayer. Not being a people who know it all, but a people who know our God. We look at another report that is there in, the, in July in July 10, 2010, and it's this, is how teenagers' faith practices are changing. Did you hear that, young people? The report dealt just with our young people. How teenagers' faith practices are changing. It says in comparison to teenagers 10 years ago, to the teenagers today, there's, there, there's some dramatic changes. One of the greatest changes in our teenagers today is their lack of willingness to share their faith. I love and I praise God for Pastor Chad because he is devoted to raising up a young people who are bold about Jesus. Oh, you could have gave God a hand of praise for that because you have a youth pastor who is devoted to making sure that our young people are not cowards in the face of a society that wants them to shut up about Jesus. Because that's the reason why we have done that is because we have come to this mindset. Oh, well, I got to be politically correct and all of this craziness. Listen, if you know Jesus, you should be knowing him and letting others know about him. It doesn't mean being judgmental. It doesn't mean being crazy. It doesn't mean going, you know, I was talking to someone else about this Christian who was just like running up to folks. When are you going to repent? When are you going to do this? Listen, that's not the way you evangelize. That's not God. But what happens is young people are embarrassed of Jesus. That's what it boils down to. Embarrassed to share Jesus. That's an issue that should bring us to our knees in prayer, that our young people would encounter him because the only reason you're embarrassed is because you don't really know him. 
I thank God for RJ. We were having a conversation over lunch a couple of weeks ago, right after Pastor Chad finished his The Way of the Master and, and the evangelism, and he was telling me, Bishop, I've committed to God that I'm going to share the gospel with one person a day in my school. And he said, and you know what, yesterday, I'm, or he said, I missed the day where I didn't share the gospel, and I shared with two more. And he said, I'm devoted to that. And I said, you know what, son, you need to keep praying. You need to keep seeking God because he's discouraged he's, and, and discouraged in a way because these people don't want to know God. He's like, but when I talk to them, it's like they don't know. It's because of a lack of a praying church. Did you hear me? It is because of us. Come on, fathers in the faith. Come on, mothers in the faith. Where are we at on our face before God? Where are we at in our brokenness before the Lord? Where are we at tearing open the heavens in prayer, saying, God, move among our youth? We're too busy trying to comfort them and console them rather than crying out to God on their behalf. You want to see revival? You want to see a move of God in a school? Let's see a people who are really devoted and given to prayer. God will empower them, and he will open the hearts of men. It is God alone who grants repentance. Did you hear that? It is God alone who grants repentance. I can't make someone repent. Someone repent. You can't make someone repent. It is his spirit alone that grants repentance. And so I praise God for young folks that are getting it. And above everything else, I thank God for our youth pastor who is leading them in the right direction. To share the gospel. Because you know what? If young people are afraid to share the gospel with their friends, what do you think happens as they continue to grow up? People continue not to know God. There's a statistic somewhere out there. Most people make a decision for Jesus before they're 17 years old. And if they don't do it, if they don't, be, don't do it before that, it's a long time before they make that decision. Usually it's around the time that their marriage is falling apart. Usually it's around the time that their life is falling apart in these areas and then they realize, wait a second. I shared this testimony before. I was so encouraged with the, with the young people because when I, was in, when I was in middle school, I didn't even know a Christian exists. Do you hear what I said? I didn't know that there were Christians in my middle school makes me question, were there really any? Oh, I know that, that, Bishop, that's mean. It's not mean. I was on my way to hell. And nobody, nobody took a moment to share Jesus with me. They didn't have to be deep about it. Nobody. There was a young man in our school going through all kind of craziness and abuse. You know what? This young man committed suicide when I was in seventh grade. Killed himself because he was getting beat by his dad. If a Christian would have reached him, maybe that wouldn't have happened. I don't know, but what I do know is this. In our school, I didn't even know there was a Christian that existed. And so I pray that our young people, that you would not be like that, but that you would be passionate about the Savior that loves you, the Savior that died for you. We continue on with these, with these reports that he does. And in August 15, 2010, he does one. Do Americans change faiths? In other words, do they go from one religion to the next? Do they go from being, you know, in one, one, one religious setting to the next? Well, here was a statistic that was just startling. He said that 12% of adults, hear this, 12% of adults were raised in church, had some kind of religious belief in church, in Christian church, and are now atheists or agnostic. 12%. Now, let me give you another, another startling statistic that should wake you up. Only 3% of adults that are growing up, that obviously grow up, have no religious affiliation with their kids, are changing to Christianity. Who's winning the battle here? Well, if you have 12% that are leaving the church and 3% that are coming to the church, I think that we understand 12% is a bigger number, right? 
And so that tells us that something needs to change. Something needs to happen. Something needs to be transformed. And I can tell you that something is prayer. Go and read the, go read the reports. They're there at Barna.org. You'll see them. The last one that I took was September 25th, two, two, um, 2010. It says this. Survey finds lots of spiritual dialogue, but not much change. The point of that survey is we have all kind of technology. Listen, on my phone, I just found some great apps for some people that I love and, you know, and, 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 and ministers and stuff like that. So, look, there's word. There's, there's like 10,000 different Bible apps that you can have on your, on your iPhones and on your different phones that you got. There's all kind of communication about spiritual stuff, all kind of avenues for this spiritual stuff, but very little change. Means that we got a lot of lip service. We got a lot of people communicating, but very few people responding. The statistic was this, that only about 7% of the people who were asked these questions, 7% of them were the ones who responded. So you know what that would mean if we took this here? Let's say we have 100 people in here today. Let's say that, okay? That means that out of 100 people in here, seven of you will respond to this message. That's pretty startling. That's pretty sobering. 7% of people. So that means that the rest, the other 93%, they're good right where they are. Letting our nation go to hell the way that it is. Just letting people just go right by the wayside. How many people are dying? Go to, go, go to Pastor Chad's blog and you'll see that there's this thing that pops up there and it shows you how many people died without Jesus. And, and, and it just shows you these numbers that are continuing to just go and go and go and go. That's crazy, church. The last thing that I point out to you, I was doing premarital counseling yesterday, and in my premarital counseling class, or not yesterday, but Saturday, well, yesterday was Saturday, so it was yesterday, yesterday was a long day. So I was doing premarital counseling, and in the premarital counseling class, we were talking in there, and they said to me, you know there's something called divorce insurance? How many of y'all heard of divorce insurance? Raise your hand if you heard of divorce insurance. I never heard of anything like that, because obviously I'm not looking for that. But I said, man, I got to check this out. What, What on earth is divorce insurance? I love what one of the respondents said on the whole thing. They're like, well, first of all, how would you get divorce insurance and not tell your spouse? And when you tell your spouse, how would you explain that to them? Listen, I took out a policy just in case we get divorced. Because when you try to take me through the ringer, I want to have some coverage. This is real, though. So what you do? You got to take the policy. Usually the policies, they, 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 they take 36 months to mature. So you can't cash it in until it matures, right? So you got to stay married for like three years. So it's not like you can go ahead and say, hey, I'm in the middle of a divorce. I need some insurance. It ain't like that. So think about how cynical that is. Think about the curse that every person that, and obviously they have this out there. So there are people that have this divorce insurance. Think about the curse you're bringing into your marriage. You're already speaking into your marriage saying, hey, there's a great chance I'm going to get divorced. I'm going to insure myself against it. Listen, we laugh about this, but this is our nation. You, you, you do understand this, that folks don't create stuff and market stuff if it doesn't work. And let me help you to understand this as well. Divorce among Christians, higher than divorce rates in the world. The high, can I tell you the highest level, this is sad. The highest level of divorce rate among Christians is fundamentalists. 
What do you mean? Those are the ones that go by the letter. They're like, they know the word. You can't come to them with nothing. This is what the word says. Fundamentalists. They just fundamental. You come and you bring scripture to them. Well, that, that, that's not what that means. And they break it down for you. I mean, they just know their stuff. Highest divorce rate among them. They have a form of godliness, church, but they deny the power thereof. And we're living in a day that desperately needs a people who will give themselves to prayer. And so I hope and I pray that you respond to God today, not tomorrow, today. And say, God, I want to be that house of prayer. I don't care if I'm one of the seven, I'm going to be one of the seven. And if the statistic is correct, you're going to be six of you that will respond because I'm going to be number one to respond. So I'll stand to our feet, please.